As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Football League show. The West London Derby's all white for silver. Swans fly highest in Wales. Wigan are kings of the northwest. And Davis Keller done good again. More easily decipherable than a Neil Warnock impression. My team is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. This is the Totally Football League show in association with Paddy Power. Not good, Neil. Not good. Uh, hey, listener, how's things? Uh, we're back with another TFLS. Plenty happening in the Football League as ever. Joining me, Matt, to talk it all through are Adrian Clark. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Very formal. Uh, Sam Parkins here as well. Hello, Matt. Hello, Sam. And the hardest working person in sports broadcasting over the past Ooh. four days, Michelle Owen. Hi, Michelle. <laughs> I think you got me confused with someone. Hey, Matt. <laughs> uh, logic dictates we begin our show with the championship. I'll see you there presently. You're listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Championship headlines. Producer Abby's frantically refreshing the Cardiff Twitter page for images of corner flags and all caps club statement posts after the Bluebirds' humiliating Derby Day. West Brom, Fulham and Swansea all tasted Derby delight this weekend. Barnsley and Peterborough are keeping Derby company in the relegation zone. That's the world record for the most times of saying Derby in a 30-second period. After seven minutes at Ashton Gate, supporters of both Bristol City and Bournemouth took part in a round of applause for David Brooks. Bournemouth continue to be the literal cherries atop the championship cake. Bristol City still haven't won at home. And speaking of Bournemouth, they've signed Robbie Brady, who's a free agent after leaving Burnley in the summer. All about the derbies in the championship this weekend then. It started with a pedestrian win for West Brom on Friday, but on Saturday, Fulham were Mitro-powered as they brushed aside West London rivals Queen's Park Rangers at Craven Cottage. The Serb helped himself to a couple of his team's four goals as they turned on the jetpacks in the second half. Interesting team selection for this one, Sam, I thought, from Marco Silva. Five changes, and we'd, we'd spoken about the goalkeeping situation, and, and that was one of them. It, it looked from the outside looking in as though they pretty much all paid off. 
Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, just showcasing their, their power again. Um, the, the goalkeeper has been an interesting situation. So probably the perfect game for him to come in for, considering he wasn't really tested. Other than, um, I think, Willock struck the post in the in the first half and there was a, a flurry from QPR, shall we say, at the, the start of the second half, maybe towards the tail end of the first half. But yeah, really competent display, probably uh, showing the gulf between the two sides, I would say, currently. And in your intro there, I think, yes, it's easy to to, to point to the goal scorer sometimes, but Mark Warburton said as much about the, the moments, the, the shocking defending on a QPR perspective, but you have to give Mitrovic enormous credit for his his goals. Not even half chances, I would say. And um, really poor defensively QPR when you're up against someone of that calibre. I just felt we've sung Rob Dickey's praises on this podcast, but for that first goal, you, it used to annoy me standing at the opposite end of the pitch when you see one of your defenders just not evaluating the situation. Let Mitrovic head it back into midfield. Don't let him bring it down on his, his chest and get a strike away. And I thought Device was poor for the, the headed goal as good as the finish was as well so yeah if you supply him it doesn't really matter who's in the supporting roles give him the ball anywhere near the 18 yard box if you can't defend better than QPR did there's only going to be one outcome yeah he doesn't need any help Michelle but it's worth pointing out his record 50 goals in 69 championship appearances which is ludicrous really when you think about it for somebody who really struggles to make that, to bridge that gap, couldn't even get in the team last year. Maybe that was to do with Scott Parker and his relationship therewith. But he's clearly a cut above everybody else at this level. Yeah, six goals in his past five appearances coming into this one as well. He's definitely going to be in form. And for Rob Dickey not to be on it, he's just a bit soft. I think Mark Warburton called his defence soft afterwards. And that's the last thing you want to be against Mitrovic, who just thrives in this league. We did a a Fulham game earlier on in the season where he was being really physical and we weren't trying to call him out for that. We were just saying that's part of his game and sometimes he will leave a little niggling and he'll do a bit of the dirty side of the game and he's not afraid to do it and that's why he sits so well in the Championship. It's I don't want to say he's not Premier League level because when you see him performing like this, you would think he, he could be, but it doesn't always translate and I feel like in the Championship, it's just the perfect level for Mitrovic and when he's firing, you know, they'll... They're doing well. But for, for QPR, if they won on Saturday lunchtime, they could have leapfrogged Fulham, couldn't they? So it was a really pivotal moment potentially in the season for both of these teams as well. I think people might look at that result, like Sam said, and see how far apart they, they are. But going into it, maybe there was a bit of doubt over that. But someone like Mitrovic, when they're firing, can be the difference in, in these games. And those two goals he took so well. Ultimately, I know it was 4-1, but I think they were the turning points in the game. Yeah, Adrian, Mark Warburton said he felt that Rangers were the better team at 1-1, looking at the stats, which obviously don't tell you everything, but they had one shot on target in the match, which would suggest that he's not right. And and they had one back-to-back games coming into this, but you broaden that out. They've now lost four of their last six. I can't make up my mind whether they're playoff contenders or not, can you? <laughs> I think they are still playoff contenders, but, but they've got to defend better. As simple as that, I think they've got to be better when they don't have the ball. They definitely won the better side here. As you rightly say, one one shot on target. Fulham had seven, obviously scored with four. So, yeah, it was pretty convincing, really. It is the first time that they've been battered. They've sort of kept in every game, haven't they, until this point. But before the international break, we did see definitely a downturn in form. I think Sam referenced it at West Brom. Wasn't very impressed with the defending. And, and that wasn't the only game where they were a little bit edgy and wobbly. 
yeah, I think that back three has, has not looked as secure of late. And I do think in this game, the central midfield looked really light. Obviously, they started with um, with with Ball in there alongside Johansson, whipped him off at half time, and it to go with the second striker, which has been working for them really well. And it meant that Ilias Chair had to be a central midfielder. And now he can play that role, but I think most people would agree he's better in that sort of freer position further forward. So it sort of exposed a slight slight lightness, I'd say, in, in strength of depth in central midfield. And and yeah, I think Warburton maybe got his selection wrong. I, I don't think Charlie Austin can play up front on his own. Not anymore. I, I just don't think he's got that pace or mobility. He's not going to stretch anyone. He, he needs a partner, Charlie Austin. So, so yeah, that might be something they look at moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I was about to bring... Adrian's point to the table I think Charlie Austin and there's an argument to say Lyndon Dykes can't play that role good enough by himself I know he's in he's in brilliant form right now but I think the best option is to play Willock off one of the two the one that's in form so you have that mobility to run behind cut balls back for Charlie Austin he can concentrate on being a predator in the 18 yard box and the other thing I wanted to bring to the table because it, it felt to me that in to use old-fashioned terminology, uh, Fulham are very much QPR's bogey side. So I did a bit of digging. Well, I read a really good blog, QPR blog. Uh, they played um, at Craven Cottage nine times since being reacquainted in '99. Uh, so in the same the same league, Fulham have taken 22 points from a possible 27, scored 25, and conceded only eight. So it's not a happy hunting ground. Normally out of sight by half time. So um, the QPR fans that were in the Putney end were probably quite relieved it was only one. Well, to give them something to cheer, at least they don't have to go back there for a year or so. Uh, right, we've got a Patterson at the wheel here, and so do Swansea in the form of Jamie, as producer Abby's long-lost relative, possibly, scored a goal and set up two to give Russell Martin a statement win in the early stages of his tenure as Chief Swan. And here's Patterson, and he's gone for the chip, and that is three. Uh, Michelle, you were on hand for this one first South Wales derby with supporters back. I'm guessing it was fairly raucous. Yeah, atmosphere was amazing. Um, we're in the studio in the ground, but it's only a thin pane of glass. And yeah, fantastic atmosphere. Swansea in full voice, the Cardiff fans by the end of it, just really humiliated. I saw some of them leaving, but they couldn't go anywhere because it was a bubble trip. And I thought, if you're leaving now, like you've just got to go and sit on a bus in the car park. It was really difficult for the Cardiff fans, but amazing for the Swansea fans. It was the day where it all clicked for Russell Martin, I felt, and everything he's been trying to do. He's had some of the performances, but not the results so far. And Cardiff actually were pretty decent in the first 10 minutes. Uh, Ryan Giles had a chance. Kiefer Moore had a chance, but they were very isolated when they had those chances. And then Jamie Patterson, wow, superb. We were saying after the match, how did Bristol City let him go for free? He's so talented. And I've always been a really big fan of his. But look, he took his goal brilliantly. He found a pocket of space. I'm not sure what the Cardiff defence were doing, but fantastic strike in his first South Wales derby. And he gets two assists for the other goals as well. And he's starting maybe to form a link with Joel Pirro up front. He's got two assists for him now. And yeah, he didn't stop all game. Deservedly man of the match. Uh, Cardiff were dreadful on their worst league run now since... 1985. Wasn't sure if we would hear from Mick McCarthy straight away after, but he did come out to be fair and, and face the media. But I don't know where Cardiff go from here. You know, they've got Fulham on Wednesday. I can't see them get anything out of that. He chose to play five centre backs 
well, why did he do that when they got thrashed 4-0 by West Brom when they did exactly the same thing? Just didn't make sense. And fair, fair enough that Cardiff fans were asking all these questions even before the game kicked off. But Swansea, you've got to get credit to Swansea. They were brilliant. Um, they had the third most possession of a championship team this season. I think they've got the record themselves. So could be a big turning point. Very interested to see what happens for Swansea on Wednesday against West Brom because West Brom would love to pick them off as they pass out from the back. So I'm looking forward to that one. But yeah, delighted for Russell Martin and everything he's been trying to do. But I feel for Mick McCarthy because after going 11 unbeaten, I think, at the start of his tenure, they're now six in a row. And I, I don't know where they go from here. Yeah, Adrian, Swansea weren't up against much here. But but from their point of view, they might as well revel in this anyway, haven't they? You know, you look at them and with the greatest respect in the world, you, you kind of see them as mid-table fodder this season unless something improves dramatically. So this might be the highlight of the campaign for them. Yes, it could be. I mean, it'd be hard to top it, actually. I mean, they've absolutely battered their their bitter rivals. They'd probably have to go some to top it between now and the end of the season. Maybe promotion's the only thing that could could exceed it. But no, it, it did all come together, as Michelle said. You've got to respect their ability to keep the ball because it protects them as well. It's not just about you know opening up other teams. When you've got the ball for such long periods, you can't let one in. And <laughs> five clean sheets from six. They only conceded in one home game this season at the at the Liberty Stadium. So, so that I think will hold them in really good stead, and that will give them confidence to 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 win games, you know, less less spectacularly one nils and two nils. But yeah, no, really good. Lots been said, obviously, about Patterson. I've praised up Pirro before. I think he's a he's a proper centre forward. Um, Laird, we talked about in last Thursday's uh, podcast, should have. Probably had a penalty first half. He's given them, and this is what I think all f- passing teams need. All sides that that pass, 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 like Swansea, they need someone either to stretch the game by providing width or by pacing behind. And and Laird kind of does both. And and he, yeah. So when they when they run out of ideas, he's always that outlet where they can just turn the opposition and and gain territory. So. Yeah, he's he's a terrific asset for them. But uh, yeah, they were miles better, weren't they, than Cardiff, who still haven't scored a first half goal. Remarkable, really. What are they going to do, Sam? Cardiff, Ken Chu, the uh, owner, alleged to have said he wished he had a new manager. I mean, he doesn't need to wish for it, does he? <laughs> Literally in charge of it. Um, but but it, it goes a little bit deeper than that, doesn't it? It's been a bit bit rotten there from top to bottom for a while, it seems. Yeah, I mean, it, it feels like the tail end of last season under McCarthy was a, a full storm, doesn't it? I mean, much of that was probably owing to Kiefer Moore's form. You know, that that could make a big difference if he was on song right now. Well, it would make something of a difference, but he has to be supported by um, some, some better creative midfield forward players. And I think that's where they're really short. And I've touched on it before, touching it again. They've lost Wilson, Murphy, Hoylett, Ojo... Mendes Lang, people like that who have contributed to good effect during periods going forward. I look at that side. I mean, it was disgustingly negative, wasn't it? I mean, you know, back five. <laughs> and then, you know, I'm looking, we spoke about it the early part of the season. Giles was pulling up trees and he's never really been an offensive, creative player. He had a great start to the season supplying ammunition for Kiefer Moore. But apart from those two, then you've got Rules, who's good for the odd goal. But Marlon Pack, 
Bakuna, who's a utility player, I mean, you're basically hoping that Giles and Kiefer Moore produce something between the two of them. And Michelle was right to speak about that opportunity because Giles should, should have scored. But if you're asking me what they have to do, they have to be more on the front foot, have to be more proactive in games. And that's probably maybe introducing some of the younger players. If the, I suppose if his target this year was to cost cut a little bit and go with some younger, younger guys and be brave enough to put them in. Because they've they've shown at, at times Cole Will and and Harris for two that they can handle it in the championship. So if you can't recruit right now, um, change the team, but be more offensive. Otherwise, it's only going to go one way. One way. Kiefer Moore is one of the most dangerous strikers in the championship. I mean, easily, he's he's in your top three. If Mitrovic is one, Moore is right up there. If, but he has to have service. He has to have crosses to feed off and when you play centre backs at wing back you're not going to get that quality are you they're, 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 they're drilling it in from 40 yards out you've got to get people that will get to the byline and, and, and swing in some quality and, and Sam's right yeah he's binned off all of the players that would actually supply his prize asset it, for someone of his experience and you know you, you've got to rate Mick McCarthy's career his CV it's it's been excellent by and large but for him not to see that I, I, I don't get it and also for Kiefer Moore now I just wonder if he sat there thinking end of the transfer window I had the well had the opportunity potentially to go to a Premier League club from what we understand he didn't push for it Wolves came in for him now he can't find form you know he's not getting the service and that's just I guess the life of a footballer you're in form one season everyone wants you now it's not going so well. Where would he get a move now at the moment? I don't know. Well, what a bummer. Um, let's pop over to Bramall Lane and, and fill up our census on Sheffield United versus Stoke instead, shall we? It uh, seemed like the host was set for a third defeat on the spin, but subs Moussa and McGoldrick scored inside the final 10 minutes to condemn Stoke to a third defeat of the season, all of which have come away from home. Uh, I really like the least Moussa goal here, Sam. I don't know about you. It felt like the, the team goal of the day to me. But but another example here of the, the depth of quality of squad you can have when you've just come down from the Premier League and you've got some money in your pocket, you can bring on quality players from the bench to change the game. Yeah, and they've not really had you know one of those strikers, maybe Billy Sharp apart to, to hang your hat on really so far this season. So um, I think important for McGoldrick, even though he... Um, is very much a creator and and floats around the pitch. Important for him to get a goal. I thought he was the real game changer. But yeah, that was a lovely goal from Musse as well. And, and Harahan as well, coming on and having a great effect when um, Stoke had a good foothold in the game, post taking the lead. They should have gone on and extended their advantage and won the game really. So you kind of recognised he needed that attacking change, but also some more power in the midfield. And I thought that was vital because Sawyers, Allen and, and Vrancic had, had done the job to that point. But as they tired, Sheffield United got, got stronger. So I think it's, yeah, it's probably an example of where Stoke are right now. Um, you know, I think Jordan Thompson possibly makes a bit of a difference in midfield when he gets back in the side. But, yeah, they're probably just not quite clinical to be able to match the big boys, you know, especially away from home. Um, and, and Sheffield United are ever improving. And, and as you say, Matt, using that squad, but they'll get better, um, but not 
not much of a panic for Stoke either. I think they've had a, a brilliant start to the season, as your 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 stats suggest. You know, just the three losses and all coming away from home. And Sheffield United, Michelle, I keep expecting them to to shoot up the table, and yet they're they're thirteenth, albeit only five points off the playoff places. But just looking at their next run of games: Millwall at home, Barnsley away. Blackpool at home and then they've got the unenviable task of going to Red Hot Nottingham Forest but certainly in those first three games that might give them the opportunity to to push up a little bit closer towards those playoff places. Yeah I was reading some of um, Slavisia Kanvic's post-match comments and he just seemed to be hinting really about the confidence and belief in themselves and it, like you said it just feels like why aren't they a bit higher we know they had a terrible start to the season but I feel like they've come come good of, of late and the loss against Borough was a bit of a surprise to me at the time and I didn't see anything that they offered up in that game. It was pretty uninspiring from them. We had that game on Sky and there was just, there was nothing from them. But then since then they've come back and then when you look at the run of games they've got coming up, well, they lost to Bournemouth. They'll probably take that at the moment with where they are. But I saw Stoke fans like on social media were just calling them mid-table. They were calling Sheffield United a mid-table team and if they can't beat them, then they won't be getting promoted. And I'm sure emotions are running high when people tweet after the game and things. But I disagree with Sheffield United being mid-table. I think they'll climb a little bit higher. I would expect them to be in and around the playoffs if they can go on a run of games with the ones they've got coming up. You know, especially with respect to some of those teams you've mentioned. Yeah, I wouldn't fancy Forest at the moment if they continue the way they are. You'll love that. But yeah, they've they've got to um, they've got to come through these games, take three points from all of them, and then we'll be talking about them in the next international break, being in and around the playoffs. Yeah, just just absorbing that Forest comment. To be honest, Michelle, because yeah. we won again. Um, with Stoke Clark, yeah, I'm expecting them to stick around the playoff picture. I don't know about you. Just just looking at the defeats they've had, that Fulham one, lost 3-0, well, that can happen at Fulham. Uh, lost at Derby in weird circumstances, you know, just after the Derby administration news had come around. A bit of a caveat there. But but generally, the results have been really good. Tough one against Bournemouth next. But, but they've shown that they've got the ability to spread goals around the team. It's not just Nick Powell scoring for them. They are pretty stout defensively. They ought to be there or thereabouts, can they? Yeah, they've they've improved definitely. I think this season. So so now Stoke City, as Sam said, nothing to worry about. Jacob Brown had an excellent game, I think, up front on his own. But they've got competition for that berth. So he's he's in possession of the shirt of the shirt at the moment. Um, yeah, the back three I've spoken about before. I really like. Maybe this wasn't their best game. I think if there's a if there's a weak spot, it might be in central midfield. Um, Sam touched on Jordan Thompson. I think he adds something else in there but for me I think that the four that they had at the weekend was was Allen, Sawyers, Powell and Vrancic for me all four are miles better with the ball than when they're trying to get the ball off of the other team and and when they're trying to shield or protect it's not really their their speciality so yeah a bit more bit more sort of uh, muscle in central midfield and, and it might give them the platform to to claim more wins the only yeah the the only thing they've got to get over is the away form. Just one away win so far. That's been that's been quite weak. You know, a few draws, the odd defeat here and there. Got to start winning away from home if they're going to have hopes of finishing in the playoffs. Uh, hey, Reading, a seventh. Remember that rubbish start to the season they had. It's a thing of the past now. <laughs> um, they saw off a truly unremarkable looking Barnsley side in Berkshire. John Swift getting his King Cladsey on to win it with 13 minutes 
to go. Uh, over now to Royals midfielder Tom Deli Bashiru for the banal post-match tweet of the week. Tom says, another win plus sign solid performance exclamation mark. Fans are amazing again. Let's keep this run going. Blue heart emoji at Reading FC. Sam, that is absolute textbook post-match tweeting from Deli Bashiri. I could say something really mean about the atmosphere at the Medeski here, couldn't I? But <laughs> I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. Um, there wasn't anyone there, was there? I mean, there was more empty seats than than than, than occupied seats. Take it away. The floor's yours, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think the media officers literally li- literally go round to the changing room, with take their phones, put the tweet in, send it back? Does that literally yeah. what happens? Can someone yeah. tell me? I think so, except for that one poor chap who did it for Victor and each of you that time and has probably never tweeted anything on behalf of a footballer <laughs> since. Um, in terms of this actual game, Michelle, five wins from, from seven now for Reading. Uh, they've only lost once. The last four games have all finished 1-0 uh, to somebody. They've won three of them. This run that they're on and, and this victory on Saturday, is it too much to say that it saved Velko Panovic's job? Well, it might have saved their season because they've got that points deduction possibly as well haven't they so yeah it's not only saved his his job but it might have saved a lot more things longer term as well because if things do go the way of a points deduction then look at where they are on the table if they can just pick up a few more you'd actually start to think well even if they did get a hit by that that'd be okay and that goes a lot wider than just the manager that goes right through the infrastructure of a club when you've got something like that hovering above your head and they'd have all been thinking about it all the players but everyone at the club as well so it's massive this run I I remember a few people saying oh they're in massive financial trouble they've done this they've done that and I was reading about it thinking oh wow I think Reading are in massive trouble this season but you just got to give them credit where credit's due and they've turned it around and you know when I look at the team they've got you know the likes of John Swift Ovi Ajaria I mean, even Danny Drinkwater's playing, you know, and if he can rediscover a little bit of what he used to have, then you know, Liam Moore's still a really good defender um, and Josh Laurent in midfield as well. So it's not a bad team at all. They should be fine now, I would think now. I mean, we're in October and I've just said that. That's a stupid thing to say. But, <laughs> but looking at how things have gone over the, since the last, in, the first international break, they'll be very happy. Yeah, well, I've, over the last eight games, they're the second best team in the championship. So, yeah, it, yeah. It's, if we were eight games into the season, we'd be talking about them as, you know, top two potential. What Maybe. about Barnsley, Sam? Um, Marcus kind of doing his post-match pitch to keep his job, but I wonder if they'll be shopping around, if you'll uh, forgive me the pun, for another boss before too long, because, yeah, they look as bad as that joke. Yeah, I just think not replacing the the quality that they left probably um not sure there's a as clear an identity there's, there's not probably not many two team there's probably not many teams that had as clear an identity as Barnsley last season that said so um in his defense but I didn't realize one win in, in 13 in all comps and scored one in the last five games so heavily reliant on Corley Woodrow who was excellent at the weekend by all accounts but He's not going to be able to uh, produce every week for them, so they need other players chipping in in that department. And, and the game where, you know, the type of game where Reading weren't near, anywhere near their best, you've got to try and take something from. So, yeah, I, I see it being a huge struggle, and I wouldn't be surprised considering the um, the movement at 
managerial level at that club over the last few years if they made another change. Yeah, four defeats on the spin, Clarky. Borough and Sheffield United next. Then he goes away to Bristol City. So hang on till that and you know you're not going to lose that match at least, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's just got to get there, hasn't he? I just, yeah, I'm not, this was a better performance. They had quite a lot of chances, actually. They, they sliced through Reading on, on numerous moments, but, but couldn't find a finish. So, so I, I think on this occasion... I, yeah, I, I don't think they deserve a battering for for their display here. But but as a team across the the opening quarter of the season, they've been pretty woeful, and and they look like a team heading potentially down to to League One. Because we one thing we also know about Barnsley is that they they've got away, haven't they, in terms of their recruitment? They they rely heavily on on the younger players and. Yeah, one. I, I don't know. I don't know if there are enough brilliant young players available that can turn their season around. We shall see. Right, we were ridiculously close at the weekend to winning with our ACA. Good job, Paddy Power. <laughs> I've got their ACA insurance. Tell us a bit more, please, producer Abby. If one leg of your fourfold or more ACA lets you down, we give you money back as a free bet. Uh, we're going to have another go with the midweek games. Michelle, your pick comes from the championship. Yep, uh, Fulham to beat Cardiff, which to me. <laughs> with all respect to Cardiff I'm sorry it feels like a no-brainer so something else is going to happen now isn't it <laughs> <laughs> um, probably not Sam you've also gone for a championship game yeah I'm having um, Derby Luton under 2.5 goals uh, 10 of Derby's 12 games have been uh, two or less and Luton three of their six away games would fit the criteria and I think he's got the most clean sheets now Sluger uh, out of any championship goalkeeper with six. So that stinks of a 1-0 a Luton away win. <laughs> Sluger continuing to ram the words of Parkin and Clark back down their throats. <laughs> Abby, those sound, like, those sound like two eminently sensible bets to me. Is that reflected in the prices? Oh, yes, it is. Yes, we like the look of both of these. So uh, let's start with Sam's Derby v Luton. Under 2.5 goals is coming in at a nice four to seven, whilst Fulham versus Cardiff. Fulham are a very, very healthy four to nine. That puts our double at uh, one to uh, one. Evens. <laughs> Evens. Well, it's 1.27 to 1. I can't oh, right. every time. The decimal every time. 1.27 to 1. All right. We'll carry on with that later in the show. But next, you're in for a treat. It's League One. So, Mr. Klopp, what's been troubling you? Well, it's a very important time of the year, and I'm worried we're not going to be able to get the most out of it. Yeah, there's a lot of big games coming up. Games? No, I'm talking about Oktoberfest. Sauerkraut, Steins, Lederhosen. The one time Germany comes to England, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it can seem like they don't know what they're doing. But with Paddy Power, you always know you're getting Das Beste rewards. Like money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Paddy Power. Pretty much bet builder bets only. Min odds 1 to 5 per leg. Min 4 plus legs. Max free bet £10 per day. Excludes enhanced match odds on an exclusive T's and C's apply. 18 plus become aware.org. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. 
Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Because you're a listener of the Totally Football League show, you can get a third off an Athletic subscription right now. All you need to do is head to theathletic.com forward slash league show. That's theathletic.com forward slash league show. League One headlines is as you were at the top as all of the top five won. Three of the bottom four lost, a massive win for the other side in that equation as Shrewsbury moved to within goal difference of safety. Too many negative stories off the pitch this weekend though. Shrewsbury have banned three supporters following allegations of racist abuse during Saturday's match against MK Dons. Those people won't be allowed to attend games until an investigation by the club and police is complete. Meanwhile, objects were thrown from the stands and advertising signs torn up during Bolton's thrashing by Wigan. Latics man James McLean was pelted by missiles. Uh, and it's those games at Shrewsbury and Bolton where we're going to focus. Uh, Wigan just a point off the top two after taking bragging rights and then some from the University of Bolton Stadium where they ran out 4-0 winners in front of more than 20,000 supporters, most of whom behaved themselves. Uh, Sam, James McLean, crikey Moses, that, that first goal of his two, woof. McLean might have a go from distance, spectacular goal! Is he the best of Wigan's new signings? If not, who is? Oh, God, that's a that's a huge shout. Um, I don't know who's the best. Maybe Jack Watmore to, to this point. Um, Charlie White in the last month. Don't know. Don't know. Across the piece, they're all impressing, aren't they? I thought this was a... Well, they did a complete job on Bolton. Brilliant performance. Um, not the day to have your first choice fullbacks missing, uh, especially what you just said about James McLean and, and Callum Lang on the other side. That those two were were brilliant, and um, yeah, they're just a really strong outfit. Wigan, I think they play long, quite often, um, into Charlie White. Nothing wrong with that, and I think they're defensively very sound as well, facing the fourth least shots on, on average. So across the board, really, we seem to be saying it most weeks, and probably, yeah, probably uh, the type of opponent that. Bolton are going to really struggle against in this kind of, I was going to say bedding in period, but at a higher tier against a better calibre of players, Bolton probably yeah, still not quite good enough as a squad to to dominate games and, and win games against opposition of this calibre. And I thought, you know, Wigan were, were excellent once more. What Sam's just said there about Bolton, Michelle, makes it all the weirder that Ian Everett called them the best team in the league in the build-up to the game. He put his foot in his mouth a couple of times previously, but he just did Wigan's team talk for them. Oh, there's got to be a lesson in humility in there for him, isn't there? But this is what he's like. I I don't see him dialing it down. Is it the way he operates that he puts that belief in his players for his style of football to, to work? Is he bothered if people take a swipe at them? I mean, apparently they were in the dressing room for an hour after the final whistle. Uh, they were confined and no one came out to speak to the media for an hour, which is incredible. But to go into a local derby like that, with all that bravado, to build it up and then pretty much be outclassed and thrashed by them, I mean, that's not just humbling, it's humiliating. 
And Liam Richardson was the opposite. He wasn't getting drawn into any of that before before it. So I'm pretty sure there's a lesson in there. I just don't know if Ian Everett will, in the nicest way, I don't know if he'll take it because it's just not the way his style of management seems to be. You know, we saw, we've seen it before and we're seeing it again now. But there'll be, I would imagine, pretty embarrassed by that performance. He said it wasn't ranting and raving after, it was more self-reflection. But I don't know. I mean, I've not been a professional footballer, but I think there should have probably been some ranting and raving after that. <laughs> when you've just been battered 4-0, the last thing you want to be doing is going over it and over it for, for an hour. And yeah, when when you're feeling low anyway. Yeah, I'm not sure that would have done done a whole lot of good. To be perfectly honest, um, Sam, I just wanted to bring up something Sam said about them going long. Definitely true. Wigan, this is, and I and I like that about them. They remind me a little bit of of Cardiff when they were flying under Warnock, whereby they they get the ball forward into the final third by going long, and from there they've got loads of talent that can get on the ball and make things happen. They're powerful. They're quick. They're also skillful. I just love the quartet. Keane, McLean, Lang, Wyke. Um, 17 goals and nine assists between them already. So yeah, they get it into those areas and just let them get on with it. And I think it works for them. Um, and away from home, they're just dynamite. They've been behind. Away, going away from home is really hard. I remember as a footballer, so many games where you're, you're just up against it. And, and they've been behind for 37 minutes on the road this season. It's it's remarkable, really. Very, very impressive. Certainly is. Um, mentioned that aggro in the crowds. The lighter side of it was that we saw Max Power clearing a bottle of Coke from the pitch. Shame it wasn't Pepsi, as you know. Would have been Pepsi, Max Power. Um, but yeah, <laughs> don't throw stuff on the pitch. Michelle, you're right to put your hands over your eyes. Uh, okay, take your form book, turn it upside down and throw it out the window because Shrewsbury, who'd lost their last three in the league, beat a McDonald's side who'd only lost twice in the division before Saturday. Uh, Adrian, the main thing I thought about this game was the lovely finish from Sean Wally. Roofed it into the top of the net. Very aesthetically pleasing. Yep, so I thought the same thing myself. A great assist from CJ Udo, sort of battering Ram, bundled his way through and, and released him. But yeah, when he had, he had loads of time, did Wally. Uh, but but what he did, he lifted it into a part of the goal where the goalkeepers never dive. It's it was it's brave to go that high from that kind of close range. But it was yeah really accomplished finish. First clean sheet of the season for them. Only had twenty four percent of the ball, so it was all about the discipline. I think from from Shrewsbury here, you know what MK Dons are like. But they did that job on them in terms of like we'll break us come and break us down. We're going to shrink that space for. Your best players, Issa and Parrot and Twine. And they didn't, yeah, it was just one of those days where they lacked a bit of inspiration, the Dons. And um, and Shrewsbury took their one chance when it came. I don't think they have many more. Um, but, but yeah, it would do them good, won't it? Just to just to have kept out a side of MK Dons quality will have um, improved belief, no end. Yeah, Sam, Adrian mentions the, the first clean sheet there. They're, they're going to need a few more of those. But you look at the team sort of round, I don't know, bottom six of uh, League One at the moment. Uh, uh, at least there's there's a bit of momentum about Shrewsbury. You wouldn't say that about the likes of Charlton and Crewe and maybe even Gillingham. So there is reason for them to think they can get out of this. Yeah, they've shown an ability to win home games, you know, tight home games. 
that first clean sheet obviously is going to be be vital and read uh, some quotes from uh, Ebanks Landau in the, the wake of the game about the change in the setup from set pieces and obviously they have St- sterner tests than MK Dons probably because there's probably a bit of a reluctance to sling the ball in from them um, even when they're chasing games but they went zonal at the weekend they've conceded six from set pieces so far um, three teams conceded one more on, on seven so it, it has been a problem for them so to defend, you know, a lot more resolutely, you know, especially from corners and uh, and dead balls will do them the world of good. But it's just going forward. You know, I do think they've got options. There's, you know, the Udo who created the goal. Cosgrove was substituted at half-time for Bowman and he's really not pulling up trees at the moment. So they've got a bit of a problem there. But, you know, again, it's creating chances for those guys at the top end of the pitch if they're going to, you know, score enough goals. So... I think the clean sheet again is the most important thing, and um, with you know the likes of Wally and those aforementioned strikers, they'll I think continue to win the odd game at home. Whether it's going to be enough, we'll have to wait and see. As for for MK Michelle, still in the playoff places, but but feels like it's leveling off a little bit. Maybe no wins in three, and they've got Wigan and Rotherham next. Yeah, they're just going to find a way through. I, I think part of that was credit to Shrewsbury Towns organised defence. They changed it slightly like Sam said. Um, they had plenty of set pieces. I think they had 11 corners. It's just really frustrating for them. And yeah, I think maybe they're sort of reaching, what's the word I'm looking for? Median? No, there's a better word than that. Uh, not their average. I can't think of the right word. There's a better word than that. And I've got an English language degree. This is disgraceful. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean... I, after what happened on the eve of the season with Russell Martin leaving, I don't think they would have expected to be where they are at all. So they take what they've got so far, you know, 19 points from 12 games. It's a fantastic return. And look who they're up there with, you know, like Sunderland, well, Sheffield Wednesday are below them. It's pretty incredible what they've done so far. So I don't think they'll lose any any sleep of what happened at the weekend in terms of how the season's gone, but Wigan up next is, is massive for them. So maybe we'll get more of a lay of the land off the next couple of games because after that, like you say, it's Rotherham. So they're the teams up and around the playoffs and maybe who'd expect to be up and around there at the end of the season. So if MK Dons can get a result against them at this stage, then maybe don't write them off too soon. If you want to read more about the MK Dons, you can do so on The Athletic. Jack Pitbrook sat down with boss Liam Manning. Head over to theathletic.com slash league show if you aren't already a subscriber. Uh, Abby, it's my turn to pick a leg for uh, Acker. I've gone for a League One selection. I'd like Wigan to beat MK Dons, uh, which ties in very nicely with what we were just talking about. What are the odds on that, please? Yeah, they're not quite as you know secure as I might like them to be because I'm really keen for the win but they are still the favourites in this one they're 11 to 10 um, with MK Dons coming in at 5 to 2 the draw 23 to 10 we are looking at 3.77 to 1 with that treble great right League 2 next this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra the official beer sponsor of the NBA want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football League Show with Matt Davis-Adams.
League Two headlines. FGR now four points clear at the top after a routine win at Scunthorpe. They look the very definition of the word beleaguered. There were protests outside the ground against Chairman Peter Swan too. Harrogate lost for just the second time, but stay second. Simon Weaver blamed that on the lack of pre-match music at Colchester. Sort of. Uh, only goal difference is keeping Mansfield outside the relegation zone. And Crawley had to issue a warning over the PA after Sutton defender Kobe Rowe said he was racially abused. Uh, we've been piling the pressure on Salford boss Gary Bowyer in recent weeks. His team probably have some responsibility for that too, to be fair. But League Two being what it is, the Amis are now only three points off the playoffs after beating Hartlepool 2-0. Uh, Adrian, are they actually going to be rewarded for showing some patience this time? The class of 92 <laughs> et al. Well, their team should be right in the mix for promotion. Just look at the team. It's it's a really strong League Two outfit. The that Worthy really been in League League One a lot of the players. Low and London midfield, Hunter, McAlenny and Thomas Asante behind Tom Elliott up front. It's it, yeah, it, they should be beating teams like Hartlepool. They should be in the promotion mix. So yeah, look, this is this is a result that I expected them to get. Don't think it it was the most exciting game in the world. It's pretty dominant. I know that that Hartlepool boss was not happy. Uh, Dave Challoner, he was fuming and he changed the system after 15 minutes. He hooked someone after 36 and another player at half time. It was just one of those horrible ones for, for Hartlepool up against an organised, talented Salford team. So, yeah, I think they're, they're heading in the right direction. I didn't notice that, that they might be moving stadiums. I don't know if you saw this story. I'm not sure we discussed it on the pod, but they might be switching stadiums with Salford Red Devils who've got a 12,000 capacity arena. They might be going to, to Salford City's ground and and then they're switching over, which again, I suppose, is just the next step in their evolution. Not sure they'll be able to fill it, mind. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, who's got the bragging rights in the Willock family on Saturday night? Matty for that brilliant goal or Chris for the assist from Lyndon Dykes? I guess if your team wins the game, then then you're the brother who can shout the loudest. Yeah, definitely Matty Willock. Um, haven't they got a bet on? I've heard Gary Weaver say it a few times. There's a, there's a third brother, isn't there? Um, yeah, there is. And they, didn't they all, all three of them at one point played for an academy team together? They were at Man United. The same yeah. Joe is the other one. For Man- it was for Manchester United, wasn't it, Matt? Yeah. yeah. Mm. And, and, but I think that's the only time they've shared a pitch in an academy game. And they're, um, yeah, I think it's the player with the least goals buys dinner or, or something like that. But um mm-hmm. At the end of the season, yeah, it, yeah, definitely him. But it was a really nice goal. I'm still not convinced by Salford, to be honest. Yeah, it's a hundred percent a game they they needed to win against Hartlepool. Just woeful away from home, you know, just the one point um, scored two, conceded nine. Complete contrast to what they're doing at Victoria Park, where they're unbelievable. So you had to win this one, but I think obviously the time of the goal helps enormously, but then they kind of stuttered through the subsequent 85 minutes and and kind of get that late goal. So I'm still not really seeing it. I think for all the um, of, of his power in the in the transfer market, I still think they're short at the top end of the pitch. I really do. I thought Henderson probably papered over the cracks there last year, scored some important goals, should have had more. And again, this year, I would have gone and really highlighted that, that area of the pitch and and gone after some proven goal scorers to try and get them up there. I don't think Thomas Asante and Elliot, as good as they've been in the last couple of performances, 
are going to have enough to to fire them into those promotion places. So I still see a, a disjointed outfit, really, that are probably going to disappoint again this year. Hartlepool disappointed, Michelle, but you look at this game and it, and it tells you why people love the English football pyramid so much. They took over a thousand supporters. I know it's not particularly for, far, but for a League Two away following, that's pretty incredible. Yeah, away fans blow my mind. Like, I just think that's so amazing. I love now when we drive to games and the coaches are like are on the motorway and you go past and you see them all. Missed it so much last year. And the Hartlepool fan base is absolutely incredible. But I mean, that was a fifth away defeat in six games in League Two for them. And they're still following them. There's a thousand of them still going. I think it's incredible. But I think they've got a few a few rightful questions over what was going on because um, Dave Chaloner went with a slightly different setup. I think he gave Joe Gray a first football league start. Um, the one that caught my eye was Reagan Ogle. I, I think he's Australian. He's usually a defender. But he played him on the right wing. Like, if you're going away from home and your form's that bad, maybe he's just trying to, trying to, I don't know, is it square pe- square pegs and round holes? He's trying to try anything. But credit to the Hartlepool fans. You know, I think that's an amazing following. But rightly so frustrated with the way it played out. But, you know, after the match, Dave Chandler was defending himself, said he hooked the player because they weren't playing well. I guess that's his discretion to do as he pleases. But, yeah, absolutely amazing following from the Hartlepool fans. Hopefully they get some better results on the road, especially when there's a thousand of them there. All right, we've got one more game to do. A good weekend for Owls. To the best of my knowledge, the feathered kind retain the ability to rotate their heads up to 270 degrees, whilst those on the badges of Oldham kits played their part in a first home win of the season for the Latics as they stuffed Stevenage 3-0. Sam, the only thing I can really remember from this game is how funny the third goal was. Uh, The Stevenage keeper, Joseph Anang, getting beaten pretty much on the halfway line kind of summed up the day for Stevenage. Oh, yeah, I don't know what the keeper was doing, but um, brilliant finish from Bahambula. Really calm, I think, you know, when you can lose your composure in those situations. And he's huge for them, really, rediscovering what he he did last year. You know, they were so offensively brilliant this year. It's kind of flipped on its head. That's how it looks to me anyway with, with Keith Curl. They look all of a sudden defensively sound. Yes, this was a resounding victory, but um, yeah, they need to kind of, um, get back to what they were last year, which was free scoring, really entertaining. And I do like the front three, Davis, uh, Davis Bambula and, and Zach Dernley on paper. That should really complement a, a strong foundation they've got now. So I'm not going to go too early, but I did say that Oldham were going to be all right, didn't I, a fortnight or so ago. So there you go, I've gone early. <laughs> so that's your old club, Clarkey, ex-Stevenage. Since winning their opening two, uh, your former side have failed to pick up three points. Revels boys very much the the orange cream of the League Two packet at the moment, you might say. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, it's it's weird, isn't it? You got the same manager. He's he's probably brought in better players. The squad looks stronger, I'd suggest, for Stevenish this season than last. But whereas before they couldn't not keep clean sheets, now they just can't get one. It's it's just a bit of a mess at the back. So yeah, that's the that's the problem. That's that's what they've got to work on down there on the training ground. Build from the back, do what Keith Curl's done, which is sort of just go back to basics and say, right, we're going to have a solid back four, central midfield in front, and we're going to start keeping clean sheets. And then we can worry about, you know, what we do inside the final third. I think that's that's what Alex Revel needs to needs to do right now. So, yeah, this was a yeah humbling defeat. I think they controlled a lot of the game, but but... 
that's quite easy to do when you're 2-0 down early on. Oldham were like, okay, it's fine. You can have the ball. We'll just pick you off. And, and that's what they did. So, yeah, bad run for Stevenage. But, yeah, hopefully they can turn it around. Placing two points between these sides at the moment, Michelle, they've both won three of their opening 12 games. If, if I were to ask you now, who do you think will finish higher at the end of the season? I don't do things like that because it only makes yourself look stupid. But uh, no, given form at the moment, you'd have to say Oldham. But I think Stephen is just a lot of worry for them. You know, 19 clean sheets last year. This is the third time this year they've conceded more than three in a game. I would be really worried if I was a Stevens fan at the moment. It's just sort of spiralled since that opening to the season. So, yeah, they've just got to find a way to turn it around, especially defensively. Um, as for Oldham, I think their their local paper compared their turning circle from the start of the season to now, compared it to the turning circle of the Titanic. <laughs> but it's finally got around, which I thought was quite a nice metaphor. And that was their first home league win of the season. The first at Boundary Park since April the 9th. So it's just little things like that, isn't it? It's like a monkey on your back, like the Bristol City thing that you were talking about earlier. You just get it off your back psychologically. I, I would say Oldham now, but in the context of the season, that was a massive win for them, even though it's only October. Huge three points. I think only Stevenage supporters can probably answer this question, but... Um, I don't think it's going to be a question, but a statement maybe. Um, it looks to me as if they're having more possession this year. So it looks to me there's been a conversation in the summer that they want to change the style. And I think Alex Ravel is trying to do that and he's coming a, a cropper. So it's whether they revert, as Clarkie says, and start being nasty and horrible to beat and winning 1-0 at a push or if he can be given time. And I think that's that's what it is with football, isn't it? You time to 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 get on the training ground, to to sign better players, and to change the whole philosophy, I suppose, from top to bottom. So that's what the supporters have kind of got a way up, I suppose. And it, it may be some heavy defeats and a difficult season, but I don't know. It's probably a balance, isn't it? It's probably being playing nicer stuff, but also having a bit of thrust and a bit of you know pace in your team. It's difficult to find, but that's what it looks like to me at Stevenage, that they're going for a little bit of a transition. Yeah, we'll see how they get on, whether they go back to their old ways or not. Uh, Clarkie, you've picked a League 2 selection to complete our racket. Can we have it, please? Yeah, look, it's ba- we've talked about them. Hartlepool just rank, aren't they, on the on the road? They're just, they're just awful. It's 480 minutes since they last scored away from home. So I hope they don't again. I hope that they um, come a cropper at Bradford, who haven't been as strong at home as I'd like when tipping them up. But I think this might be their chance to 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 pick up a, a sort of routine home win. So Bradford to beat Hartlepool, please. Abby, let's get the odds on that and the Acker as a whole, please. Yeah, Bradford are the favourites in this one. They're evens. Uh, the draw is actually more more uh, likely than uh, a Hartlepool win. Draw coming in at 12 to 5, Hartlepool uh, 27 to 10. All of that means that our Acker is looking at a, a nice 8.53 to 1. So, um, you know, positive pants on. That's what I say. <laughs> Positive Paddy Power Pants. That got Nicholas Bentner in trouble once, didn't it? Uh, you can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. T's and C's apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Uh, right, before we go, this weekend I was lambasted by the official Walkers account on Twitter after suggesting that cheese and onion crisps 
should be removed from their multi-packs. Uh, I want to know if anybody's on my side or if you're going uh, with the big boys. Sam, you were quick to register your disgust in a, in a private message exchange. Would you, <laughs> would you care to chastise me publicly now? Yeah, I don't know what you're. I don't know what I was going to say. I don't know what you're seeing. I don't know what you're tasting there, buddy. Um, right up there for me, probably being my top three of all time. And I am someone who can go through a family pack of crisps per day. <laughs> well, does I? I go through a family pack of crisps you can't, per day. You can't more or less with a dip. Um, Ooh. some of the responses to the tweet from walkers i think say a lot uh, maybe about me maybe about twitter alex says uh cheese and onion are amazing what's this guy talking about stewart adds you mental cheese and onion are elite tier crisps two okay emojis and he said he's very ill stating things like that and finally here's <laughs> at marky mark uk2 who said i love cheese and onion what a snowflake um michelle clark is anyone going to back me up here no, well, my husband would back you up because he won't let me near him with cheese and onion crisps. And he says about cheese and onion hands, like he won't let me touch the remote or like, I don't know, one of his PlayStation controllers. He won't let me touch anything. He's like, your hands mouse, wash your hands. I'm like, it's just, it's just some crisps, like you'll be okay. So cheese and onion for him uh, are a no-go. So you maybe get on well based on that one crisp selection. Yeah, he's on the right side of history. What about you, Clarky? Yeah, no, I think they're top, top tier crisps. They're up there. Um, they they operate at the highest level for me alongside <laughs> alongside prawn cocktail. This is a conversation about crisps. Right, and I'm going to have the, the final word level. on it. <laughs> I'm going to have the final word on it, Michelle. Cheese and onion crisps, are, they're cloying yet powdery. They're limp and lingering. If they weren't branded as cheese and onion, you'd just assume that they were a really old packet of ready salted that had fallen down the radiator. I had some before we came on air to see if it could change my mind. I'm still tasting them now. Absolutely dreadful. Anyway, that'll just about do it for today. Many thanks to Adrian, Ooh. Michelle, to Sam and producer Abby and to you, listener. Uh, I hope whatever you pull out of the multi-pack of life works for you. We'll be back here on Thursday. Do join us then if you can. You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and keep up to date with everything Totally by heading to at the Totally Show on Twitter and on Insta. Find out the latest subscription offers by going to theathletic.com forward slash league show. The Totally Football League Show is an athletic media company production. The Athletic.